This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Certainly it's good to see each and every one of you all here today, and I'm thankful for the privilege I was given to be able to come out here to worship God together with you all. And I trust you've been blessed by the service thus far to be able to come together to sing like we've been able to do, to approach God in prayer, to study some more of God's Word together, to take of the communion to remember Jesus' sacrifice, to give of our means as we're prospered, just to be together with fellowship one with another. We can provoke each other to love and to good works, and if you wasn't here today, it wouldn't be the same. And we appreciate everyone's attendance, and we don't say that enough perhaps, but we're certainly glad to see all of you appreciate the prayers on our behalf that continue to travel to speak God's Word. And as was mentioned in the prayer today, that we could be able to open up God's Word together, glean from it, and focus on these things to better our life. And that's always my desire to do that. We're going to talk about the elect of God a little bit this morning. And as you think about that word elect or uh, the group of people that you would look at as the elect, what would you normally think of? Some people would think of maybe the royal family in England or maybe if we belong to the family of the president and got to walk through the White House and have that kind of power. Or maybe it's your favorite sports stars and you may look up to them as the elect. Or maybe it's those that have a lot of knowledge in this world. We could go to all kinds of thoughts about who do we think of as the elect. But I want you to think about something even more important is the elect of God. In Isaiah 50 or 65 verse 9, Isaiah 65 verse 9, he says, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. This was a prophecy talking about those that would come out of Jacob and we see down through the lineage that's talking about Jesus that we could be this seed and God says, I'm going to call you mine elect. You know, it would be uh, really neat to be in a royal family or inherit a lot of money or a lot of power, but I want you to think of it this way. The creator of all the universe and he says, you can be my elect to be in the family of God. That would be the most powerful and most awesome thing that we could possibly think of in this life. And he says in the New Testament in Colossians 3 verse 12, Colossians 3 verse 12, to put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And he mentions those things that we need to be adding there. But he calls us the elect of God. That prophecy became fulfilled when Jesus came, when the church was built and now he says, you get to be a part of this elect. Do we really appreciate that? In 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, Paul says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, while that it might be really neat if we were in the inheritance of a rich family or a powerful family. But he says, you have, being this elect, you can obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's an inheritance beyond our imagination. In Titus 1 verse 1, 
Titus 1 verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Thankfully, we get to be just like Paul. We get to say, hey, we're part of God's elect. We've been given the truth. We can obey the truth. We can be a part of God's family today. But you know what? This comes at a great price that we really can't comprehend. And this is what it costed God to make this possible that we could be of this very elect. And in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, He asked him, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price... Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. While it's really neat to think about that we can be looked at as the very elect of God, sometimes we forget about the price that it costed for that to be possible. He says Jesus came to this earth. He suffered all that anguish, even the death of the cross. We are bought with a price. He says in return, we should glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. And you know, before long, if we start living for Jesus, if we listen to what Jesus would have us to do, we're going to start standing out to the rest of the world. And anybody that's in the elect, let's just use the president of the United States, for example. They're always in the spotlight, aren't they? Everything is nitpicked. Every move they make, people are there. The media are there to watch every move. They are the most criticized. And as the family of God, all eyes of the world are on us the same way. And soon we became looking very different to the world. In second, or Titus 2 verse 13, in Titus 2 verse 13, he tells all of us as Christians that we need to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people zealous of good works as the elect of God when we follow God's word do it God's way soon we become this peculiar people all eyes are on us and they think man you people are strange you don't fit in with the rest of the world you're a peculiar people you're always trying to do these good works that God would have you to do and we do that in return because Jesus gave himself for us he gave us this opportunity to be redeemed from all of our iniquity We can be purified. Why wouldn't we want to serve a Lord like that? He's already given us everything to be in the family, this elect of God. But let me tell you, the world's going to have all eyes on us. They'll nitpick us in every way possible. And we need to be that peculiar people. I want you to notice another thing, though. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9... 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, But ye are a chosen generation. If you were to think about any elect, the royal family maybe of England, maybe to be a family of the president here in the United States, or maybe to be family of a sports uh, star of your favorite sport, did you know you can be in a royal priesthood that God chooses you? Yeah, that's right. The creator of the whole universe 
says, I choose you. You're chosen. How awesome is that? He says you can be a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people. And if so, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says you shouldn't be acting like the world out there in darkness anymore. You should be following the Lord into this marvelous light. And he says you're a royal priesthood. You're going to stand out. Just as I said before, just the example of the president of the United States, all eyes are seems to be on that particular office. Everything's watched. Guess what? Everyone's watching us as Christians. We need to fulfill this royal priesthood and act appropriately. But you know what comes along with this? We're probably the most criticized of all the world. All eyes are on us. Every move that we make, any little mess up we make, they're like, aha. And even more than that, we get persecuted. Especially those places outside of the United States that are persecuted for their religious practices, their beliefs in the Lord. In Matthew 5, verse 10, Matthew 5, verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And he says, how should you handle that? When all this opposition comes, all the criticism, all of these things, he said, how can we handle it? He says, by rejoicing and being exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets which were before you. Jesus says you have something far greater to inherit that this stuff here doesn't have to pull you down. Sure, we may be criticized. We may be persecuted in many different ways. People may say all manner of evil against us. Jesus says that's okay. Because you still have something eternal to look forward to. They can't take away from you. You're a royal priesthood. You belong to a royal family. You're the elect of God. Nobody can take that from you, he says. Just rejoice in those things. In Colossians 3, verse 1, Paul gives us some things that's necessary as Christians. You know, to be in the family of God comes with a lot of responsibility. If you were in a royal family or you uh, belong to a family of a sports star or any of these other, uh, like the president, or these, uh, there's a lot of things that comes along with those things. A lot of responsibility, the same way being the elect of God. And Paul brings things to light here. Colossians 3 verse 1, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, if you've already obeyed the gospel, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's why we're so different. As we look at God as the Almighty, and we say, we look and focus on you. And the world says, what are you people doing? You need to be doing what the rest of the world is doing. Paul says, no, set your affection on things above, on Jesus. Live your life in that kind of way. And if we do that, there's things we've got to follow and understand. In Colossians 3 verse 5, as he continues, he says, mortify, just put it to death, get rid of this stuff. 
Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things as sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. He said, guess what, you people were guilty of a lot of this stuff. But he says, it's in the past. You're now the elect of God. Turn from that way. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. You see, he says, you're the elect of God. You're going to have to have a higher standard than the world around you. He says, you're going to have to get rid of all these evil things. Just put them out of your life, he says. Otherwise, we'll be called the children of disobedience instead of the elect of God. And then here's the other side. Verse 10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see, we're a new creature after we've been coming uh, a Christian, after we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to give you the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to give you a new life to live. You're created after the image of Him. Therefore, we should live for the Lord. Verse 11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But get this. But Christ is all and in all. Most of us probably will never be inheriting a royal family's treasures. But we can belong to Jesus. He says it doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter if you're bond or free. Jesus is all and in all. The gospel is for, all, for everyone, for all of us. And he says, when you have this, verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, Humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. As this elect of God, he says, you have a responsibility to live in this way. And the world goes, man, these people are strange. Whenever somebody reviles someone else, gets them all stirred up, they walk and don't say anything evil against them. They don't want to have revenge. Instead, they forbear. They put up with each other. They forgive each other. The world looks at that and says, man, these people are strange. You see, to live as the elect of God comes with all these responsibilities. We should look different than the world. He says we need to put on love or charity which is that bond of perfectness. And if we do all these things, I want, to know, or I want you to see what it does to us. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You see, instead of thinking all these ways of reviling or being able to cause strife or get back to the world, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And when you do that, you're going to have all those bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, what we just read about. It says to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing 
with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. He says, if you belong to this elect of God, then you're going to let the peace of God rule in your hearts, not all this stuff that depresses us out here in the world. And he says, if you have the word of Christ dwelling you richly in all wisdom, you're going to have that joy of being able to sing. You're going to have this grace in your heart to return that praise to the Lord. And it says, whatever you find yourself doing all through your life, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus because you are the elect of God. Live your life for Jesus, always having a thankful heart to God for what Jesus did for us. In 1 Peter 3, verse 13, 1 Peter 3, verse 13, he asked them, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? You know, when you think about it, if you belong to the elect of God, who is it out there that could really tear us down? Oh, sure, they could tear us down physically, but they can't take away the kingdom of God from us. They can't take away the church. They can't take away Jesus. Peter says, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. He says there's nothing to be afraid of out there. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As the elect of God, we have a hope that nobody else in the world does. We have a hope of eternal life. We have Jesus as our Lord. And he says we need to be ready always to give an answer of why that we have this hope, why that we obey the gospel, why that we have salvation. And he says you need to do it with gentleness, meekness, and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Go ask anybody that goes and does all those sinful things in the world. It comes back to haunt them later. They suffer for evil doing. He says, wouldn't it be much better to suffer as the elect of God for well-doing, knowing that you have eternal life to look forward to? You know, these people may speak evil of us, falsely accuse us, tear us down. Peter says, don't be afraid of that terror. Don't be troubled by that. He says, they're going to pick on you because you're the elect of God and you stand out. In 1 Peter 4, verse 3, 1 Peter 4, verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. He said, all that stuff you used to do, all those friends you may have hung out with out there in the world, and then when you become a Christian, all that was put to death and stopped. What's these friends going to think? What's the people out the world going to think of all that? Verse 4, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. And perhaps that's why a lot of people, it's hard for them to become a Christian. They say, what would my friends think? What would my family think? How would they respond? Probably like this. They may think it's strange. They may talk evil of us. 
because we don't go back to that same lifestyle. But I want you to know something as the elect of God, what we look like to God for a moment. We should really concentrate on serving God, and this is the reason. Here's a picture that John got to see of the church. In Revelation 21, verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and I will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. If any of you have ever been through the preparations of a wedding, you know that everything you want to have exactly in place, and you want the bride to be adorned perfectly, to get their hair ready, their dress, their appearance, and that adorning would most likely be the very most best dress they'll ever be in their whole life, outwardly speaking. Us as the church, when we are the elect of God, we look as this precious bride that's adorned for her husband. And he says we should do everything to prepare and get this adorning to what it needs to be as the elect of God. Maybe that makes a visual for you a little bit differently you never thought about. Because all of us wouldn't just throw anything on and just leave ourselves be on the outward appearance at a wedding, especially for the bride or husband. But they prepare and they continue to have that preparation to have that adorning that they would like the best. In Revelation 21, verse 5, as he continues, he says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. As the elect of God, you get to have all things new. Isn't that kind of what we desire here in this life? Wouldn't it be nice to have a brand new house, a brand new vehicle? <laughs> and that's just material things. He's talking about spiritual things. All things will be new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I want you to look at the precious gift that we're promised. We get to inherit eternal life. That's worth more than all things. You can only inherit that as the elect of God. Here's the turn side of it, though. What if we're not the elect of God? Maybe we choose to go back to the world. We leave the church, or maybe we never become a Christian. He says, verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. You see, these were not of the elect of God. They didn't receive this inheritance of eternal life because they rejected the salvation that Jesus had promised. They wanted to go do their own thing. They lived out there in the world. In Romans 8, verse 16, Romans 8, verse 16, He tells us that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We're God's elect. 
God says, you're mine. And if children then were heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, but there's a condition. It says, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. And He tells us, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says, if you're suffering through things in this life, He says it's not even worthy to be compared with eternal life and the glory we get to witness there. As the elect of God, He never promised it's going to be easy. He says there's things that you can suffer through, but you're suffering it with Jesus. He will carry you through it. You can make it. And He says you're going to have that glory to be looking forward to. In Galatians 3 verse 26, as He tells the churches of Galatia, He says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are your Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God keeps His promises and He says, I'm going to give you eternal life. But He says there's a condition that must be met. You are only the children of God if you have faith in Christ Jesus enough to do what He says. He says we need to be baptized into Jesus Christ to put on Christ, to belong to this elect of God. A lot of people look at that and say, no, I'm going to do it a different way. But if we belong to Jesus, do what Jesus asks us to do, it's only then that we're heirs according to this promise. We have to do it God's way. We can't just pick any other way. In 1 Peter 4, verse 16, where we uh, went back to a while ago, 1 Peter 4, verse, six, uh, verse 16, it says, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now listen, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel. Think about that seriously. We don't belong to the elect of God. What's going to be the ending result? And he continues to ask, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? I think we already know that answer, don't we? We've already answered that in Revelation, didn't we? We'll appear in the lake of fire. Hell fire for all eternity. And he says, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. You see, God's faithful in all things and all He asks us is to be committing our life back to God. That's not too much to ask, is it? God's already given us everything. He's given us His only begotten Son. They made it possible for us to have a family we can be the children of God. But he says you're going to have a commitment to keep. We need to keep our faith. Continue in well-doing. In Revelation 2 verse 10, he tells all of us as Christians to fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. I suppose fear does one of the worst things to us as a Christian. All of us have it. It causes us perhaps to stand back when we needed to say something or maybe we 
see a situation, it's our friends or family, and it's a hard situation, and we kindly stay silent when we need to speak. Or maybe we're the other way around, and we say things over the top, and then we turn people away. That can be just as bad. He says we've got to have to get rid of this fear. Start being a servant of the Lord because he says you're going to suffer things. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. You know, it might not come to that drastic of a persecution, but let you may be tried. We're going to have trials, temptations, afflictions all through our life. But you shall have tribulation 10 days. That's not a literal 10 days. That's just figuratively saying you're going to be able to endure it. It won't last forever. He requires us to be thou faithful even unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. He says you're royal. You may look at your life and say, you know, I've messed my life up so bad there's no way that God would even want me. God says, no, I've chosen you. I've given you my only begotten son. I want to have you in this royal family. And he says, if you'll live faithful, you're going to have a crown that nobody else can take from you, a crown of life. You can have a home in heaven for all eternity. But it's only to the ones that obey the gospel. It's for only the ones that live a faithful life as the elect of God. And today as you examine your own life, are you truly in the elect of God? Because if you've never obeyed the gospel, just like Paul told the brethren in Galatia, then you're not a child of God. I don't have it on your slides up there, but Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 36. Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. It says, When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do you think he's going to tell them? Then Peter said, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. I want you to think about that. To be in a royal family, somebody either has to adopt you or accept you in. Maybe it's the president of the United States. They take votes. It doesn't work like that with the church. He says anyone willing, this is for everyone. There's not a vote. There's not a man that can control that to say you're good enough or you're not. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you. To who? To the very murderers of the Son of God. Don't look at your life and say, I've been too bad for God to want me. The first gospel sermon that ever went out were to the very murderers of the Son of God and God says, I want you to be my child and he wants you if you're not a child today wouldn't you accept Jesus to be baptized into Jesus Christ we can assist you in that you can have the remission of your sins you can be added to the church verse 47 says praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord not some boat not some man the Lord added to the church 
daily such as should be saved. And you can have that today and be the very <coughs> elect of God. Maybe you're here as a Christian and you've already been baptized and you see that your life's drifting away. You can come back. We can have prayer for you. In 1 John 1 verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No matter what it is, He says, I'll cleanse you from it. If you need that prayer, if you need that cleansing, if you need to become a Christian, all you have to do is ask. Come forward, have a seat in the front while we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.